Hey, NoosaCast listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Please help us grow by subscribing or sharing the NoosaCast or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, let's get this show on the road. CJ, this has been fantastic. We really, it's, it's great to catch up with you. I mean, what a story you, you have, no doubt. The only question I really have to, to end it is, how many teeth have you lost in your career? Welcome to the NoosaCast. What is a NoosaCast? It's where we bring local folk stories to life through conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to NoosaCast. Uh, I'm Eric. I'm Joe. And, uh, you know, what we're here to do is to uh, introduce you to the world of sports and entertainment and things that are happening in Northeast Wisconsin today. This is a, an exciting time because we feel that we're going to give you information that you aren't going to find in a newspaper. You're not going to find it on TV. And we're going to hit some of these feel-good stories that are happening in our little neck of the woods here in Northeast Wisconsin. That's right, Tosh. Just a couple of old guys and, and our observations of what's going on here in Northeastern Wisconsin. Yeah, and you know what's cool? Um, Joe has a little bit more of a historical background on this, but um, we are doing this because we're hoping to continue the Red Smith legacy that has been around for 50-some years. Joe knows the time a little bit better than I do, but they support youth sports here in uh, Northeast Wisconsin. Um, scholarships to to uh, players from the high school. Uh, they support local youth teams. And our goal for this is to highlight those people who have been receiving money and um, and hopefully continue, continue that process where we can continue to support youth sports here in Northeast Wisconsin. Oh, absolutely, Tash. And I mean, nobody wants to hear a couple of old guys talk without some sort of reason for doing it. So... You're right. Our reason for the Noosa cast is it it's born out of the Red Smith Banquet. Like, like you said, the Red Smith Banquet's been around for 57 years. It's still gonna be around. I mean, we're 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 a part of that group. That's who we are is, is Red Smith. But we just don't quite have the energy right now and, and, and the time, quite frankly, to put on another banquet. It's it's actually a lot of work. It's a small committee that 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 does um that, that puts together the Red Smith Banquet and not to make excuses, but COVID kind of wrecked the, the schedule a little bit. So in some senses, we're, we're a little bit trying to find our way. And we realized as, as we were kind of figuring out what to do with the banquet that we have a lot of content, an, an incredible amount of content, 57 years worth of content. We wanted to kind of get that back out there and, and, and share that with, with everybody and, and figure out what's the best way to do that. Well, you and I both love podcasts. You and I kind of like to talk. Um, we really like what the Red Smith Banquet did, like like how the show was set up with, with the interviews and, and the way the interviews were conducted where it wasn't like you were at a press conference or even at a, at a roast or a dinner. You actually sat down and had an intimate conversation, whether it was Dave Edwards or Shane Sparks, whoever whoever was asking the questions. We felt that we could do that. But at a local level, because there are some incredible people that live in this area, and you and I, as 
have done a bunch of these interviews already. We're excited to, to have the episodes come out. And Tosh, I think you can attest to it. I mean, there's some incredible people that are in this area that well, I have no idea. Incredible people, incredible stories, and um, doing incredible things, really. Absolutely. So that's always kind of been the mission of the Red Smith Banquet is to just – you know, highlight youth sports, whether that's little league, whether that's high school and, and maybe even a little bit beyond some of the, some of these college kids and, and Olympians as, as we'll come to learn here over the next year, we wanted to highlight that. And, and we wanted to continue the mission of, of NUSA. Where does this name come from? It, well, it stands for Northeastern Wisconsin sports advancement. That's actually, that's who runs the Red Smith banquet. The, the Red Smith banquet is a fundraiser for NUSA. So all the proceeds that we give out from the, from the banquet, none of those checks say Red Smith banquet. They all say NUSA. That, that, that's who we are. So it seemed appropriate for the name of this podcast, but our blood is the Red Smith banquet. Like I said, that that's kind of why we do this. And Tash is right. We're still in the business of, of, of raising money and supporting youth sports, uh, help, with grants, with, with, with different projects. We have a terrific Every Kid Plays grant that, that allows kids to play that might not be able to, uh, might not find themselves with, a, with an opportunity to play. We, we, we pay for, for them to try Little League or Pop Warner football or whatever the case is. Um, that's still our mission. So, you know, we're looking at, at ways to get creative to, to raise money, but this podcast isn't necessarily about raising money. It's, it's about bringing awareness. It's about exposing and exploring and, and just letting everybody know what a really cool area we live in. And just, there's some really neat people that we're excited to bring their stories to you. Exactly. That's exactly it. Bringing stories to the people out there and um, seeing some of the amazing things that people are doing. So obviously this show is going to morph and change and this is our first attempt at it. And we hope you continue to listen as we grow and bring you these, uh, these amazing stories. Absolutely. And I would be remiss, Tosh, to say that we also have amazing music that, that's sprinkled throughout this podcast. So you, you'll come to learn, Tosh and I, our personalities, with some of the things that we love. But I'll tell you right off the bat, one of the things that we really love is music. And and Digstown, um, as you heard in the opening theme, their, their music is sprinkled all throughout, throughout the show. They will be for every episode. Uh, we'll end every episode with a Digstown tune, so there's a little little surprise for you if you keep listening. But um, a big shout out to them; they, they've helped us. Uh, they're very supportive of this podcast. Uh, we're huge fans of Milo Music and Digstown, um, so we're super excited to have that that sprinkled in here. This this podcast is truly local and in in every sense of the word. It's it's all of us coming together to to grow this and bring awareness to well, bring awareness to the community, bring awareness to youth sports, bring awareness to to music, right? Bring awareness to a whole lot of things. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this podcast will be a weekly podcast. It's going to drop every Thursday. So as you heard in the social plug, it's you guys would really, really, really help us out if you could spread the word, subscribe, like, just view it. Just support our cause, support the community. That, that would be huge and to, to just bring exposure. So we'd be much appreciated. Hey, to continue with the hockey theme, we have the opportunity to talk with board member from the Appleton Area Hockey Association. Uh, they're going to give us a little information about uh, youth hockey program in Appleton, uh, what it was in the past, what it is in the future, 
and a little bit about uh, their involvement and what we can do to get youth involved in hockey. So we're very, very happy to introduce uh, Matt Blair, who is on the board with Appleton Appleton Area Hockey Association. He's going to give us a little more information, so uh, we'll uh, send it off to uh, the questions. Hey, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about the history of youth hockey in the area? Yep, yep. Um, I believe we're coming up on the 25th year of AHA this coming season. So we would have just wrapped up our 24th year. Uh, AHA was a result of 26 years ago, the Appleton Family Ice Center was built. And at the time, Fox Valley Youth Hockey was the only uh, youth association in our area. Um, We were the largest uh, association of the state at the time. I think there was close to around 700 kids in the association and which is a staggering number to think about um nina high school and appleton united both both high school programs were in the beginning stages you know within a couple years old and it was just a natural fit to have a feeder program i guess kind of to feed both high school programs that was kind of the the gist of where it all started what kind of numbers do we have in youth hockey today and how does this compare historically well, if you, if you look at kind of pre-COVID, um, we our numbers were trending up, um, and they've rapidly been trending up ever since. Um, we are now. I know we want to talk aha here, but if you collectively look at the two associations that used to be one, we're pretty much darn near right at that 700, you know, or or, or pushing that 700 number. Um, AHA related, we have, um, our numbers are growing every year. Um, we flirted with five squirt teams last year. Um, we're going to flirt that number again this year. I, I, it'll all depend, um, on retention, but, um, the, the numbers are just, I mean, our learn to play program has averaged close to 70 skaters per session for at least the last two years. And before that, it was in that 50 to 60 range. I mean, our numbers just continue to um, to continue to climb. And, and we're, we're, I'd say over the last three years, we've seen about a 20% increase year over year for, for a good three, four years now. As an organization, what do you do to try to bring youth into the program? How do you get your message out there? And how do you get kids involved? Uh, two, three years ago, we we made a pretty conscious effort to uh, get information out into the into the schools and just kind of you know put it front and center. You know, we we live in a community where hockey is a lot of first generation, um, and we're starting to see more second and third generation you know athletes. And um, the more we can grow it, the more that we can. You know, I mean, it's a great sport. It's a generational sport. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why is is that uh, you couple that with, you know, the addition of Lambeau Field and Titletown and the awareness of ice sports, uh, Nina and what they put in down there, that same format. And then the addition of the Champion Center, I think it's, it's brought in a heightened awareness of ice sports to the area. And, the, the growth has reflected that. One of the big things we have in youth sports are barriers. So what are some of the barriers to youth hockey? And what are some of the things that are being done to break those barriers? 
Yeah, and I mean, no doubt hockey comes with that stigma of an expensive sport. Um, you know, my son plays travel baseball and everything else. And I mean, if I if I look at what uh, what I pay for hockey and what I pay for for baseball, I'd say they're pretty darn similar. I mean, when you factor in, you know, everything that goes with it. Um, yes, hockey's more expensive. Uh, the ice time comes with it, you know. I mean, we don't have the luxury of of gyms in every school and baseball diamonds all over the place. I mean, we're, we're pigeonholed to 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 an ice arena, and that that comes with a cost. So, um, but I mean, if you look at what we've done with our learn to play program. Um, Shields has been a great partner for us in that. It's helped keep our costs um, down. And uh, our MITE program, our, uh, we have equipment rental. Um, quite a few families take advantage of that. Um, and we keep reinvesting in that year over year. Yeah. Um, some of the grant money from Waha, uh, the Red Smith, we've used the funds from Red Smith before to. Uh, to you know, invest that into our equipment rental and our learn to play program, and that's our feeder program. You know, and if you don't put attention to that, you're not going to have the numbers. You know, at your older age groups, and we've just taken the stance of it's a pyramid, right? Let's widen our base and and grow our numbers. As somebody who has played hockey before, what do you see as the benefits of participating in the amazing sport of hockey? Yeah, um, I always use the analogy of hockey's like golf. You can play it till you're well into your older ages and, you know, a much smaller capacity that you did in your younger ages. But uh, it's a generational sport, you know. I mean, more times than not, a lot of these kids are in the sport because their dad played or grandpa played or aunts or uncles or whatever the situation is. Um, with growth, as we've talked about, we're starting to see a lot of those first generation families get into the sport. Um, so um, I think that's a huge benefit of it. Um, just as with any other sport, it's all the other same stuff. You know, it teaches you the teamwork, it teaches you the commitment, it teaches you the, you know, all the stuff that comes along. So as we try to get youth involved in hockey, um, one of the things we have to also get involved are parents. So what do you say to parents and kids who are interested in youth hockey? You know, and it's, it's, it's a unique opportunity with the addition of the Champion Center. And we run a lot of tournaments to help kind of support the cause out there and, and grateful for that opportunity. But um, it, it awards a different opportunity that I never really thought of. And that's, you know, you're running a hockey tournament and there's a bunch of basketball players that come in and sit down and watch or a bunch of volleyball players or whatever it is. And to listen, just stand there and listen to those kids talk or the mom and, you know, mom and dad talk or the parents talk or whatever. And they don't understand it. And, but they're fascinated by it. Right. And there's so many people that are just, they've never been around it, but once they get around it and they see it and, you know, you, you can watch it on TV, but TV doesn't even do it justice when you see a game live. More times than not, you, you get a kid out there and they fall in love with it. As you look to the future of AHA, what do you see moving forward for the program and for youth hockey in general? Um, it started, I would say, two years ago. We 
the follow-up to your question that you just asked is these kids that want to try it and it's such a hard sport to you know it's not like a football that you can pick up as a freshman in high school and you know i mean or it's one of those sports that if you don't start when you're young you know um you're behind the eight ball i guess yeah but there's a lot of kids that have an interest in it or kids like you said about Jones park that go and do it. They want to play, but they don't want to play on the scale that, you know, hockey officially is. Um, so it's one of the things that we would love to get going is some type of rep program okay. where kids that's whether they've been in the sport for a number of years and they have another passion of a different sport or an instrument or whatever it might be, um, they still want to play, but they don't want to play at the commitment level that, that is required currently. One of the big benefits that I see um, for youth is playing multiple sports. So how do you feel? Um, do you think kids should play multiple sports rather than specialize? everybody's guilty of it. I mean, I see it in the baseball front too, but hockey in particular, there's so many opportunities to play year round. At a young age, I mean, my son's going to be 13. How do I widen his, his skill set as a young athlete by playing one sport year round? You know, go go try different things, go do different things. The time will come when you have to make that decision. And we talk about that all the time at AHA, you know, how much is too much for these kids and, and what can we do to, to encourage them to, it comes up every year, this time of year when hockey season's done, you know, what, what are the opportunities? What are the opportunities? What are the opportunities? Go put your hockey bag away, go build some passion for when you come back to the sport, you know, the time will come when, when you can play year round, but you know, go, Go become an athlete, and that'll make you a better hockey player. As you see in the future of youth hockey, do you see more partnerships between maybe the high school programs and the youth programs? And what would help build some of our high school programs as well? If you think about what we do with AHA, I mean, our responsibility in the hockey landscape is to get build a foundation to build upon and then get these players prepared to play at the high school level, um, you know, and, and hopefully further beyond after that, um, you know, the more players that we can move on to the next level, the hopefully more that come back and get back to the program. And we just keep this whole, this whole thing turning here. Um, and uh, so definitely, I mean, it's a, we're in a unique situation with AHA where our skaters feed two different high school programs. Yeah. So, we feed Appleton United and we feed Fox City Stars. Um, so um, not that we're any different than any other association out there. There's many other ones that probably do the same. But uh, it, it, I think that's kind of a unique situation, though, too, because um, personally growing up playing, you know, I played Fox Valley Youth Hockey. And when we split and it was Appleton United and Nina, I mean, the rink was packed and you were playing against kids that you grew up playing with. And yeah. it, it was fun. There was an atmosphere and, um, it, you know, it, I think we're going to get back to that here very shortly with our two high school programs because just because the numbers, I mean, we, we went through AHA previous to when I was, my son started skating. I mean, the numbers were, numbers were not what they are today. And I don't know what the reasons why, what or how, History tells us that there's an ebb and flow, you know, yeah. it's a roller coaster. And for whatever reason, right now we're riding that upswing and we're going to keep riding it as far as it goes up. And, and hopefully that we plateau it and 
stay there for a while. Super happy to have Matt with us from AHA. Um, we look forward to maybe hearing from them in the future as we continue this amazing podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, Tosh, here's our chance to get a little creative in a new segment that we're calling Forgotten and Forgetting. So what is Forgotten and Forgetting? Well, forgotten in our world is I want to forget this. This is something that I want to forget. What is forgetting? Well, it's just the opposite of that. Hey, Tosh, I don't want to forget this. Forgetting. I'm never forgetting this. So it's our take on something that we really want to forget and something that we really don't want to forget. So with that said, Tosh, what have you forgotten? Oh, man, I'll tell you. One of the things that I would, that's, I forgotten for me is a kind of, you know, how tough it is for our kids just to go out and have fun. I I look back to the days of growing up and how simple things were and just going out and playing games for fun and um, just being able to go pick up and be creative. And we're living in a time and day and age now where everything is very structured and our kids just don't go out and play kick the can like they used to. Or they don't go out and play pickup baseball game with only four guys and say, hey, you're out if you don't hit it to the opposite field. So just that being able to be creative and having fun and not caring, um, that's one of the things I want to, you know, I, I want to forget the day and age we're in. And I want kids to go back and just have fun again. The good old days. The good old right? days, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Play till the streetlights come on. It's funny. I mean, we're we're obviously we're getting up there. We've got a lot of memories, but it's just unbelievable how we used to be as kids. Nobody, we never had phones. Nobody knew where we were. Yet everybody knew where we were. Everybody was safe, and we just had. You're right. It was kick the can. It was tackle football. It was marbles. It was <laughs> wiffle ball. It was you know going to Valley Fair Mall because there was no Fox River Mall. It was right. all of that. I guess it was maybe just our childhood and everybody has those memories, but I agree. I want to forget these times and I want to remember those times. <laughs> right. <laughs> How about yourself? What, what's forgotten for you? Well, I'm trying to forgotten this. I tell you that it's, it, it was an experience that I had today is a lot of you will come to know through this podcast. I've become addicted to biking and I literally bike everywhere. That includes the grocery store and I've got a system down where I can get X amount of dollars into my backpack and on my little rack. And I'm pretty good at it. I haven't had a, I haven't purchased yet anything that I had to leave behind because I couldn't carry it. And that includes ice cream. I love ice cream, Tosh. (laughs) I needed to get the ice cream home and the ice cream didn't make it home. (laughs) The ice cream melted in the bottom of my backpack. Oh man. (laughs) Big puddle of chocolate ice cream and cookie chocolate cookie ice cream, I think it is. And it, um, it's now very soft served and <laughs> it's in the bottom of my backpack and I want that forgetting so bad. And, but yet I want to eat the ice cream too. Well, so I think you need to purchase an insulated backpack. Yeah, I think so too. Or, <laughs> or you're right. I mean, the option, there, there's no option of not getting the ice cream. <laughs> right. Absolutely right. Exactly. It's, how do you get the ice cream home? You're correct. So yeah. how do you problem Agreed. solve? <laughs> <laughs> so forgetting so we, we had just forgotten. Now we're going to forget. 
which well, is a good thing. This is something that, hey, Tash, I'm never forgetting. So what are you forgetting, Tash? So I had a conversation with my youngest son, Ethan, and uh, we started talking about, um, he said, hey, Fernando T.S. Jr., um, you know, he was serenading the crowd when they were serenading in New York's in uh, Yankee Stadium about doing steroids. And he turned around and he was conducting the crowd as they were singing steroids, steroids. <laughs> and I started talking to him about the old days of County Stadium. And when we used to go to County Stadium, we'd sit out in the bleachers because it was super cheap. And there was one ball player who would always interact with us whenever he was in town. And that was Oakland A's Ricky Henderson. And we yes. would yell at him and tell him he sucked. And he would turn around and flip us the bird and laugh and smile and just have a great time. He just loved playing the game. And he would totally interact with the crowd. And uh, I would tell you what, County Stadium, that's just some pla- something that I don't want to forget because great times, cheap tickets. You'd go down there and you'd have to take the chance that it wasn't going to rain out. Sometimes you'd go down there and it was snowing. And yes. um, it was it was just fun. You know, I, I know the Absolutely. advantage of having a stadium where you always know you'll be able to play. But sometimes the unknown and you tailgate the entire time and the game would get rained out and you still stay there and tailgate with all the people who are there in the parking lot. There's something about that that was a lot of fun. No, agreed. That, that was a special place. The smell of the secret sauce <laughs> wafting through the through the stadium. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Never forgetting that. Absolutely. That's that's ingrained in us without a How doubt. How about yourself? Well, I, I'm never forgetting this, and I don't I don't want anybody else to, to ever forget this as well. And that, that's the Red Smith Banquet. That's why this started. That that's why we have this podcast. That's why the new cast exists. It is part of the Red Smith Banquet. It's an extension off of that banquet. And we're going to bring that back some way, uh, sometime in some form. Uh, we're, we're developing some ideas, but in the meantime, we we want to be more relevant year round, uh, and and that's why this podcast is there. What what we did on stage at the at the Red Smith, at the Red Smith banquet is what we want this podcast to be, and bring you that type of entertainment, and frankly, just highlight our community. So we're not forgetting the Red Smith banquet. We're not forgetting that idea. It's who we are. It's what Noosa is. So I'm never forgetting the Red Smith Banquet, and neither should anybody else. Agreed. So one of the most exciting things about this podcast that Eric and I are really excited about is the interviews that, that we're going to bring you, the amazing people, the amazing stories that we're going to be able to tell that the folks right here in our backyard are going to be able to share with us. And the first one right out of the shoot is an incredible story. CJ Ike. Tash, I, I know you've known CJ for a long time. I'm excited about this. It, it, it was a dynamic interview. He's just an incredible, well, I call him kid. He's, he's in his thirties now, but, uh, Tash, what an interview, and, and I know you have a special bond with CJ. So this week uh, has a little personal connection to me, and CJ was one of my former students at Appleton East. I had him as a sophomore in biology, and after that sophomore year, uh, you're going to hear his amazing story, how he left home to go play juniors in St. Louis, um, had the opportunity to run back into him uh, when he got drafted by the Green Bay Gamblers. I saw him on the street as we are 
uh, leaving in service to go to Wooden Nickel for a burger at lunch. And he came running down the street to talk to us. Um, and I've stayed connected with him over the years um, as he played in Gamblers to Michigan Tech to Salt Lake City with and to Kansas City and Indianapolis. And now finally as a uh, assistant coach at Trinity College out on the East Coast. So really looking forward to this interview. I hope you guys enjoy hearing the story. Uh, CJ is a, has a great personality. He's infectious. Um, he's a new dad. So it's all kind of cool stuff to uh, listen to. Plus his dad's pretty cool because he does the music with his band Digstown. And uh, that music is throughout this episode as well as other episodes in the future. So enjoy CJ. All right. Well, I'm going to start off with the first question. I have a couple kids and I know the moment that my oldest fell in love with hockey. Um, do you remember what brought you into the game? Yeah. So my dad played uh, growing up for the the Fox Valley Blades in playing out of Tri-County. So he got me into it when I was pretty young and we started off at Jones Park uh, skating outdoor. And that's when I like kind of fell in love with it. Like those nights after school of going down to Jones Park skating at that point I was just pushing a little chair around until I was you know could balance and then sitting in the warming house and having hot chocolate like I just thought those were the the best nights um I can still remember skating around those nights and at that point it was like the 90s so you'd hear like the counting crows were playing as I was skating around out there and those memories stick with me pretty vivid so I think that was I think Jones Park and in the outdoor the outdoor skating is kind of what what made me fall in love with it. And I was, I was pretty obsessed from, from a young age when I was like probably seven to 10, I was, I was playing in the, the aha organization. Pretty good at this game or better than the kid. I mean, what, what's, what's your kind of, your feeling at that time? I think you can just, you can feel like how you are as an athlete, maybe like you don't necessarily think like, Oh, I'm, I'm way better at hockey than this guy, but you can like when you're moving around faster and you're a little quicker you can just kind of, you, you kind of feel that out like, okay, like I'm, I'm a pretty good athlete. I think in the kind of transferred over to other sports, like, you know, after playing hockey, then I would play football and play basketball. And I wasn't great at them, but I could move faster and I was a little stronger and, you know, I could, I could get around quicker. Um, and, and then I think you start to kind of pick up on that when, when you're seven or eight, I, I don't know. I think you're just focused on how many goals you can score. And then you're kind of right. like, oh, that was a good game. I had quite a bit of goals. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm okay at this, but I think, I think I started to notice it when I started playing like football and I just felt like I was ahead of the game a little bit more athletically. I'd been doing plyometric kind of stuff for years before the the other kids doing pop Warner football at that point. And right. Uh, that, that was kind of the, the stuff that I picked up on when I was that age. Do you start to crave competition then at that time to be, how can I push myself? Are you, are you starting to sort of feel that at, at age 10, 11? Is that, is that a real yeah, feeling for you? I, I definitely did. I think a lot of that too was with, with my dad, he didn't push me like crazy hard. He wasn't like that, but he was like, well, you know, you got hockey season coming up. Maybe let's go to the YMCA and hit some weights. And I was pretty young and it wasn't like I was squatting a bunch of weight, but I was, you know, doing doing different machines and kind of lightweight. And, um, and then you start working out and then you start feeling a little stronger. And then you're like, you get that competitive itch. And then I started playing travel hockey at such a young age that, you know, then you're, you're kind of paired up with the other 
high-end kids in the area and then you're traveling um you know even when i'm 12 years old we're going to tournaments in st louis and chicago and at that point it's kind of it's kind of narrowed down the the talent level so you're playing against all pretty high-end kids and then at that point the the hunger just grows because you're like well you know we played this team in chicago and those kids were way better than me what do i have to do to get to that point and what can i start doing more and more of um, so I think even at that young age, I, I kind of had that competitive, competitive edge. Talk a little bit about your parents' standpoint then. Um, so you're traveling, you know, from age 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Um, yep. What was that like for your parents and, and you as a family? Did everybody get to go or? Yeah. Yeah. So I was an only child and I think that made it a lot easier. There wasn't, you know, one parent having to stay behind to take one kid to soccer and then me and, you know, another parent heading out it was just our small little family and we would go everywhere. And I think they loved it because that then that ends up being their best friends, the other hockey parents, you know? So we have games and then they, they sit in the hotel and they, you know, have beers around the pool. And so those friendships, you know, those are still the people my parents talk to a lot and there'll be people that, you know, they'll go see shows with and they'll stay with. It's a lot of it is youth hockey parents that even once, you know, myself and their kid kind of split off and went our own ways played in you know different cities for junior hockey or different colleges like those connections for the parents stayed as well and those that that's their friend group for a long time and uh, it's cool to see that that side of it as well playing juniors um you didn't follow like some of the progression of playing youth hockey then playing high school you stayed with that junior traveling team and then you know, this is a big transition. Speaking of your parents and everything, you you leave at, what, 16 years old and go off and live with the Billet family. Yeah. Go play somewhere else. And, uh, you know, you lose that that uh, little bit with your family. What was that like? Um, you know, our, our division back then was Topeka, Kansas, and Wichita Falls, Texas, and Frisco, Texas. And so you're getting on the bus Wednesday at midnight, and you're heading to Texas, you know, you drive through the night, you sleep in your bunk, you get to town, you wake up, you practice, you have a game the next day, you travel to the next town, you play another game. So it's, it's a lot like the, that junior hockey level is a lot like the professional level, just at that, at that younger age. And you're not, you're not collecting a paycheck, but so most of those guys don't have school to, to show up for, you know, they're, they're 19, 20. Um, so you grow up kind of quick being a younger guy going through that lifestyle. But what, what was an advantage for me is my, my best buddy from green Bay at the time who we had played with growing up, he went down with me to St. Louis. So I had a familiar face. He lived with me at the billet house that we were at. Um, and so, I mean, we had an incredible billet family. Like they took us in and, um, they had a son who was, I don't know, probably five or six years younger than us who was playing youth hockey. So he loved it having a couple, you know, older hockey players living in the house. And that's really what made the transition easy was having such an unreal billet family. It was a, it's an awesome experience. Like I, I recommend it. It's tough leaving, leaving your high school and leaving your parents, but you get a different perspective on things. And when you get to college, you're, you're quite a bit more prepared for the real world than maybe somebody who hasn't went through that and had to go through that kind of, you know, uncomfortable transition and uh, but yeah, the, the time in St. Louis was, was awesome. That was, that was such a fun time. Was there a recruitment process 
for you to go to St. Louis? Did you have other teams that were that wanted you to come and play at that time? Yeah, so the the league in that St. Louis was in is called the North American Hockey League, and that's the junior A level tier two. So it's like what the gamblers are, the same age, the same goal of the players, just seen as a level, you know, the, the tier two levels as opposed to tier one. So when John Cooper went to coach for the gamblers, he had, he had previously been with St. Louis. So that's kind of how I had heard about it. I had heard about the league. Um, so I had been talking to some other, you know, like AAA travel teams or even like the, the team Wisconsin and playing for Appleton United. I had pretty much talked, you know, through, you know, with a bunch of coaches, a bunch of, you know, the, the process. And I, St. Louis contacted me. And at that time, my only goal was to play for the Green Bay Gamblers. I wasn't even thinking about college hockey. I was just, I was focused on making the Green Bay Gamblers. And so I, I went to their camp and like I said, Cooper and his whole staff, that's where they had just been at. And I had a pretty good camp, but I wasn't quite ready to play at the USHL level yet. And so I asked them, I'm like, well, how's, how's St. Louis? You know, what do you, what do you think about that? And they're like, well, it's a good league. And that would be a, a good place to develop before the USHL. And, you know, if you go there and have a good year, we can see, you know, where you're at and if we can get you in here. And so I was like, yeah, you know, that's kind of exactly what I want to do. Anything that, you know, that will help me get to, to, to the gamblers. And um, I think it was, it was the perfect place to go and the timing was right. Um, the coach I played for in St. Louis was also, he was, he played for the St. Louis blues for like 12 years. He was an NHL all-star. Uh, so he was a good guy to learn from while I was still relatively young. And I, I needed that year to be ready to jump into the USHL and, and have an impact right away. So the, the way I looked at it is I could, you know, maybe play high school for that year and, you know, score a lot of goals and, you know, and enjoy that. And that wouldn't have been the worst. I would have been that would have been a blast. And Appleton had a great team that year, but I was, I was still in that mindset of just kind of pushing myself. What's the highest level I can play at right now. Um, and I felt like that was probably the, the hardest league to go into at that age okay. being so much younger. And, you know, I'm, you know, pretty short to begin with. So I was probably the smallest guy in the league height wise and weight wise. Um, and so, so I just, you know, I went down to a camp, is, is also kind of how it got started. Then they hold these junior camps and I went down there and um, had a really good camp and talked to them right after And they have what's called a tender. So you can basically sign your rights to that team. And those teams have a certain amount of tenders prior to the draft. So they, they said, do you want to sign a tender? That way you don't have to worry about Alaska drafting you. Um, so I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to play here. And if that, if that's an option, and so they tendered me and then they drafted my, my buddy and we both went down together. So after St. Louis, Green Bay Gamblers. Yep. So you, you just mentioned, did, was Cooper, Cooper was your coach. That year after St. Louis, their scout at the time, his name was John Burkhart. He called me on the day of the USHL draft. It was actually the day I was driving home from St. Louis for the summer. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, you want to play for the Gamblers? We're going to, we, you know, it's the middle of the draft. Do you want us to take you? And I was, yeah, obviously. Uh, so then I went to the, the gamblers camp that year, made the team out of camp. And that was the year Cooper got his first pro job. Oh, okay. Um, I knew the staff a little bit, but never played a full year for Cooper. Okay. 
And what was it like coming back to Green Bay? It was, I mean, unreal. To, that was the team I wanted to play for, the league I wanted to play in. They had just won the Clark Cup, which is the, you know, the championship of that league. So to, to go home and, you know, I still lived with the Billet family. So I lived in Green Bay so that I was around the guys more, um, you know, wouldn't have that. I, I didn't want to just live at home and miss out on that kind of junior experience. I still wanted it to be, you know, everything hockey focused, be right around the guys. Um, and I mean, that was even you talk to guys now and they're like, oh, man, how was it playing? playing in green Bay that has to be the best pot to play juniors. And it was, you know, it was, uh, it, it was, it was unreal. I was even debating going back for a, a third year. No, that was my dream was to play for the gamblers. And then, um, you know, my second year to, to, to win a Clark cup and be, you know, an assistant captain on a, on a championship team and in the league and the, in the city that I wanted to play in was, uh, that was probably, you know, probably top of the list for hockey memories was, was winning, winning with the gamblers. So you played two years in green Bay and then it was off to college. Yep. What was the recruitment process like for you to go into uh, Michigan tech? Yeah. So the USHL is kind of the, the premier league for junior hockey. Like if you're, if you're in the USHL, you're typically, you're typically going to get a division one scholarship compared to other junior leagues. There's a very few, very few teams, I guess. So there's a ton of scouts at every game, every college, you know, NHL scouts, it's, it's very heavily recruited. And that's why, you know, that's why I wanted to, to play for the gamblers so bad. You know that you're, you're going to get a lot of interest once you, once you even make a roster. So basically what started with Michigan tech is my second year they do a, they do, it's called the fall classic. So all the teams in the league, and I think it's, it's changed since I played there. Now I think it's regular season games, but when I played there, it was exhibition games. So the rosters were a little bit bigger for guys that were still, you know, trying to battle and make, make the team in uh, the games didn't count for regular season, but you knew that it was, you know, NHL scouts and every college team was there. My second year, I had a, I had a really good fall classic early in the year and, started talking to Michigan tech, started some small talk with a few other teams. Um, I think what helped with Michigan tech was I was so close being in green Bay, only, you know, three and a half, four hours up to campus that um, I was able to take a visit in the middle of the season and not miss anything. I think I went on a Monday and watched them practice and walked around campus and, you know, they kind of lay out the offer and what they think where, you know, what they like about you, where they see you in the lineup in the future. And, didn't put a ton of pressure on. They didn't say we need an answer by this date, but you know, a few weeks pass and they kind of, you know, well, what else are you thinking? Are you leaning towards another school or what's, you know, they just kind of stay in touch. And um, finally it kind of got to the point where they were like, yeah, well, we, we'd like to know so we can maybe move on and, you know, bring another player on a visit and may, make that offer to another guy. And um, the talks that I had with other schools at that point had been more like, more small talk, like when, you know, kind of nothing set in stone and in Michigan tech had the offer. And when I went to campus, I loved it. Like I loved the, loved the UP. I loved the rink, the size of the campus. And I had been up to Houghton plenty of times growing up playing youth hockey sure. and always thought it was a great area. So um, I committed to them relatively early into that second year. Okay. Um, a big part of it for me too was, was how well Michigan Tech started to do. 
So they had been they had been pretty bad for a lot of years in a row. And then they had Mel Pearson come in um, as a new head coach who had been an assistant for, for Michigan for a long time. So they started talking to me during Mel's first year. So I was kind of trying to delay as long as I could to see how the team was going to be, you know, and he, he kind of turned them around right away. Like I think they swept Wisconsin early in the season. They beat Duluth, they beat Minnesota. And so then it kind of caught my eye and I'm like, well, this, you know, if he's, he's turning them around, this might be a good spot to be. And, and sure enough, they had a great year. Um, and by that point I, you know, they had, they had done enough to kind of prove that they were heading in the right direction. And so it was an easy, easy choice for me with the proximity and, um, you know, kind of loving the UP. And it just turns out that you're best buddy. Yeah. Going to Michigan tech as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that worked out great. So I remember that I was one class ahead of him. So after my freshman year, he was still committed to Ohio state and they had a, a change in their staff. Um, and they were the new staff wanted to bring in their own guys so I remember him calling and saying, Hey, I just got a call from Michigan tech. Like, what did you think? Did you like it? And I loved it. And I told him all the positives and sure enough, a week later, he was like, yeah, I'm coming as well. So <laughs> it's, uh, it couldn't have worked out better to get to play. play there. Awesome. Yeah. What are some of your best experiences or best memories from those, those years at Michigan tech? Hockey wise was just playing, you know, some of the playing some of those historic programs like my freshman year we played North Dakota in the first round of playoffs um and you know going to the Rolf Engelstadt and playing in front of that you know I think 12 or 14,000 people sold out for playoff game and um they hadn't lost a playoff game and I think it was like seven years or 10 years and Saturday night we ended up beating them to force a game three and that was probably the biggest goal I ever scored there was we were tied and there was three minutes left and I um, ended up scoring the game winner, um, my freshman year into, to celebrate. And, you know, with that many people just silent and kind of shocked that Michigan tech was going to steal a playoff game from them. Um, <laughs> uh, that was probably other than winning the Clark cup with the gamblers. That was probably the, the hockey memory that sticks out the most. Um, but yeah, playing in the Cole center playing, uh, you know, Notre Dame and just some of these, these historic places and getting to go into those rinks that I remember watching on Fox sports growing up, watching the Badgers play. Um, I would say that was probably the, the highlight of Michigan tech hockey wise. And then the other thing is, you know, I, I love the lifestyle of the UP. There's uh, a great brewery downtown, Keebanaugh brewing company. My Sundays are off day. You know, I would, I would go sit in there and watch football. And then in the back room by the fireplace, they had a bluegrass band that played every Sunday. <laughs> So I would go in there on days and it would just be me sometimes. And I would sit there and, you know, have beers with some of the local guys and listen to bluegrass music. And that's just kind of everything I love all wrapped into one. So did you pick um, your banjo? I should have, I should have brought my guitar down, but it was, <laughs> yeah. it was the band that they kind of used it as their practice session. They would just play in the, in the back of the brewery. And uh, no, I, I mean, I still, I go back every summer to, to Houghton and work the youth camps there just so that I can stay in touch with the program and, um, you know, up until this past year that I was done playing, you know, myself and some of the other alumni that were still playing, it was a great time to get back to Houghton. And then we would train together and skate in the morning and lift. And then afternoon we'd be on the ice helping out the youth camp. And I mean, I, I love Michigan tech. I, 
hoping with this coaching route that that someday it ends up that I'm back up there, uh, you know, as a coach. From an academic standpoint, as a student, what is it like as a D1 athlete? I mean, how are you doing study halls? Are you how are you able to to stay on top of your your studies with all the travel? So they do a really good job of your freshman year. They call it study table. So to kind of get back into it, right? Because you're playing junior hockey, you haven't touched a textbook in two, three years, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, taking these hard courses and they they have you as a freshman, they call study tables. So we would practice and have dinner in the evening at the rink, and then freshmen would have to stay, and you had a certain amount of hours you had to log, you know, where there is there was tutors or teachers or teacher assistants that would be around to help you. Um and so basically you just kind of dedicated those hours after practice, you know, I have, you know, two, maybe three hours that I have to kind of dial back into school and focus on that. And, and after that, you know, the, the professors are so understanding, they know that you're going to miss days. Um, and you just have to be responsible. Like you have to, if you take the time to reach out and say, Hey, like, I'm going to miss this class. I'm going to need a little extra help. Is there a little something extra I can do to make up? for being gone. If you kind of take that upon yourself and you're proactive, they're, they're so good about helping you out. Um, and, and just understanding your, your time limit that you have because you're traveling and then you're playing Friday, Saturday night, and then Sunday you're traveling back home. Um, so they do a really good job just kind of understanding where you're at, but you do have to put in, you know, the, the work as a student, you have to, as a student athlete, take that upon yourself to do a little bit of extra, communicate well because there's guys who don't and they only focus on the hockey and they they fall out academically and then they're ineligible and um and then they're always playing catch up where you know and it helps to seeing the older guys that are doing well like they help out quite a bit by just letting you know you know manage your time you're not playing junior hockey anymore where you're getting done with practice and sitting around hanging out with your buddies all day so you just listed some fantastic life skills. And, and to your credit, you, you're a great student as well. Well, I mean, you great grade point average. You, you yep. took it serious. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, that was another thing as far as the workouts too. My dad had me going on early. He was, the one thing is he was always like with school. You know, even if I came home with an A minus, he was like, well, why, why isn't it an A? Like, what did, what do you got to do different to get that, to get that GPA up? Um, so even now, like I'm, 31 and I'm taking a, I'm doing my master's degree here while I'm coaching. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I don't, I don't want to say I'm too focused on the school, but uh, I still kind of have that built into me where like until the schoolwork is done, I have a little, have a little anxiety of finishing that up before anything else. But, um, but yeah, he was, he was always on top of me pretty good and making sure even when I was, you know, in Mr. Tosher's class, missing two, three days a week, while I was on the road traveling, I was getting my homework done. And so I yeah, was Tosh, was he a good teacher? What, what's, you can say it now. What's your assessment of, of uh, Mr. Toshner? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, that's why I remembered him and Mr. Young. And that's why I ran up to him that day when they were on their way to the wooden nickel. Uh, I had a great, I mean, he's a great teacher, had great energy every day, made everything interesting, even if it was a, a topic that might, you know, kind of bore you at the time. Um, so I, I loved it. I thought Appleton East, at least when I was there, the teachers were unbelievable. I don't know if it's still a lot of the same crew, but I thought like, like Toshner and Mr. Young, and I had a couple of Mr. 
Reichenberger maybe was a yeah. math teacher. Like he was yep. an awesome guy. Like there were just, it was such good people. I, I loved it there. That was, that was one of the tough things about going to St. Louis was I loved, I liked Appleton East a lot. Well, it checks in the mail for, uh, talk to <laughs> those good things about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just kind of going through your career a little bit more. Um, so you, you have your, your four years at Michigan tech and you know, so what's next? And you go to uh, the ECHL yep. and playing with, uh, I mean, ECHL is, is known as a, it's a tough, tough world. And it's a grind. And you head out to Salt Lake City, right? Yep. What was your thoughts on that? I mean. Yeah, it was, I, I guess I didn't know. It was almost the same as when I went and played junior hockey. You just have that tunnel vision of what's, what's the next step and what do I have to do? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough lifestyle. I mean, you are, there's, there's not a ton of loyalty, you know, you, uh, for example, my first week I get out there, our season ended Saturday night in school. And by Wednesday I was flying out to Salt Lake city. Um, you know, the teachers are pretty good there, you know, yeah, you can finish up school online, do what you have to do. Um, so I get there Wednesday and I fly in in the afternoon and the team has a game Wednesday night against Tulsa. And so they do, they do it kind of like baseball and in minor hockey, depending on where you're at. But, um, you know, you'll play like Tulsa comes up to Salt Lake city. You'll play Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So Wednesday night I get in and I don't know any of the guys. I go into the press box with the the players who are either not in the lineup or injured. And they're like, who are you? You know, what do you, they don't want to see you because it's just somebody who's trying to take their job. Um, the team loses to Tulsa that night, Thursday, we practice. Friday I play and one of the guys is out of the lineup. So obviously he's not happy. I have a pretty good game and that guy gets traded. He gets traded to Tulsa. So the next day we show up and he's in the locker room, moving his bag down the hallway. And I play against him that night and he's on Tulsa, you know, and it's, it's just that lifestyle where then he packs up his duffel bag and he's on the bus back with Tulsa out of Salt Lake city. And now he's with them and his time in Salt Lake is done. It's just, that was my first, my first kind of like experience of like, oh yeah, this is, this is a job now. Like it's, you don't just get away with, you know, a few bad games. Like you can be shipped out basically at any time. Um, but I also loved it because it, the, the pressure and the intensity, everything, you know, rises. And we, we ended up winning the first round of playoffs. I thought I was going out there for a week and a half, two weeks. Um, and then was going to be back at school graduating, but we ended up going on a playoff run and they wanted to keep me around for it. So I ended up, I missed high school graduation and I missed college graduation. But, uh, so I, I got back to Houghton. Oh, most of the other, I mean, school had wrapped up. So I got back in middle of May, my girlfriend, now wife had to pack up my apartment for me and, um, go up to Houghton and, and take care of all that. So, um, yeah. And Salt Lake was great. Uh, you know, then the next year I went back, um, loved it there. I mean, I had always kind of at that point been just in the Midwest. So to go out West and live in Salt Lake and be around mountains. And it was, it was such a cool experience. You're talking about music and helps you relax. And, uh, probably those times after games helps you kind of wind down. Um, and you also mentioned, I'm going to try to tie this in. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, the brewing company up in Houghton and yeah. I think it's the, the Widowmaker. Is that Black Widow? Mm -hmm. The, the Widowmaker. Widowmaker. 
So yeah. you probably drank a little bit of that to, to relax after games. We had a chance uh, a number of years ago uh, with the Red Smith banquet and we, Bobby Hall wanted to go out for drinks after. And he drank us under the table drinking Sambuca on the rocks. Oh yeah. I just looked at him at one point. I'm just like, man, how, and he goes, Eric, he goes, this was painkillers for me yeah. in, my, in my day. This was painkillers. And this is just what I continue doing. Yeah. <laughs> so not that you're at that point. No, but- no, I'm, I'm not anywhere near that point. <laughs> but uh... knowing about the ECHL, come back to hockey a little bit here. Um, you know, you're, you're in Kansas city, you're in Indy. It's known as a fighting league. Did you ever get in any fights? No, I think one of the advantages of being this, probably the only advantage of being the smallest guy in the ice is like, you know, who's, who's going to, you know, it's, it's a lose, lose. If you fight a little guy, like for, for some, you know, cause it, one, they, they should probably beat you up, um, <laughs> you know, and if they don't, then, then they look really bad. So I never really had to, had to fight, um, my first my first year or two and I was in Utah, we had we had a an enforcer on the team that uh we were pretty good buddies. He wasn't he wasn't gonna let anything really happen. So I was I was always kind of able to play a little bit fearless, I guess, because being so small, like there were times where I probably crossed the line a little bit. And junior hockey I had like I think it was like my first weekend. I was just running around, hitting guys from behind, kind of doing whatever it took, playing like a kind of like a little rat just try to get under guys skin and then you have somebody grab you and they just drop their gloves and you go uh, but at the pro level um because there are guys that they can they can really do some damage to you you kind of that's why the game like that's why they don't want to take fighting out right the game polices itself because if you're going to go run around and and do things that are going to hurt a guy like you gotta you gotta back it up and you gotta you gotta fight so i think it cleans up the game um but no, at the the pro level, I a few scraps, but nothing like where we're squaring up and okay, you know, dropping the gloves. It was just more of like heat of the moment after a, a whistle, where you're kind of giving each other a few back and forth. But but no no fights. I remember talking to you a few summers ago, and you were looking, you know, making a transition. You weren't sure what what was going to be next, and uh, you were looking at Europe. Yep. So. How how off you know how serious did that become um, for for you and uh, possibly moving to Europe and playing? Yeah, I guess the most serious it got was probably the year before I went to Indy. So I would work work with an agent, you know, and he's talking to teams, and you get some offers. Um, the 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 most I guess likely one that I was would have thought about taking was in uh, Manchester in England, which the league is, is solid. You know, it's, it's not incredible. Um, it's kind of similar to the ECHL. Um, and, and I would have loved to do it, but at that time I had just, I think it was two days before I had signed with Indy and Cliff was going to Indy and I was excited to go there. It's, it's one of the things I'll probably look back on and, you know, wish maybe I would have done that sooner. I, I think I should have went right after college or right after that first year in Utah, but you know, the ECHL, there's so many good spots to play And like, you know, even going to Indy last year, like your division, you're playing in Cincinnati, you're playing in Toledo, you're playing in Fort Wayne and you're getting, you're getting, you know, eight, 9,000 people a a night at these games and the, the pace and the, 
the level of hockey is is really good. It it would have been a cool experience, but it would have been better when I was younger. Once I got to the late 20s, then it was kind of like, all right, you know, maybe let's let's see what makes sense for for me and Alexa instead of, you know, I can live in Europe for a year, which would have been great. Um, but I, I maybe should have went earlier. But that was kind of the goal the whole time when you're when you're five seven and you're not putting up a million goals. You know, I was goal scoring was never my job on any of the teams I was on. Um, when you're that size and your your game is kind of the way I played. I wasn't thinking, okay, I'm, I'm getting called up to the American hockey league. And then I'm getting called up to the NHL. I was, I was just enjoying getting to make a living playing the game for as long as I could. Um, with the goal, you know, it was Europe. And like I said, just at the time, it, it always made sense. And it might've been just me sticking to my comfort zone. Like I loved Kansas city. So I was like, okay, I'll go back there for another year. And then COVID happened. And then most leagues weren't even playing and then the ECHL did. So then it made sense to go back to Kansas city. And then at that point I loved it there and I still talked to that coach, but I just wanted to play in a new division. That's why I went to Indy, you know, I, Utah and Kansas city were in the same division. So I was playing in the same buildings for at that point, five years. So I was like, I'll try out Indy and, you know, go to some new places and, you know, live in a new spot and, I, I loved my time there too. I I miss every every place I play. I mean, Alexa and I were talking today on our walk. Like, gosh, don't you miss Kansas City? Like, that was such a cool area to live, and that was such a great place to play. Um, so yeah, I, I was lucky to play in three organizations that were really good. They all, the you know your your travel, the way they took care of you, was the coaches. I was I was really fortunate with the places I played. We'll just we'll just make a natural transition when you say that. Um, so now you're a coach and um, you've got a new experience at Trinity college, which um, fantastic program. Um, good coach. You're learning, probably learning a ton uh, coaching at the collegiate level. Um, what's, what's a little bit like your day as far as coaching now and, and you know, bringing that experiences that you've just been telling us for about, for, I don't even know how long it feels like it's only been like 10, 10 minutes, but I know it's been a long time. It's just been so, so natural. How do you bring those experiences to the players that you're coaching now? Uh, I think, I think just trying to like, I don't want to say lead by example, but taking the time to, to pull them aside during practice and say like, Hey, try this next rep and, you know, see how this feels because giving them more little cues than anything, like think about, think about something in a different way because having that experience, you know, you get, you get so comfortable in what you do well, you know, and you, you almost limit your game and that's how you kind of get into these roles. And it's a good thing to have because you want to be good at your role. But if you can, if you can look at things a little bit different, it, it helps kind of round out your game just by having a different perspective on it. And I learned that as I, you know, got older and was still learning that at 30 years old, playing for different coaches, like, oh, that's a that's a good way to look at that situation and and then have that you see that improve in your game. So I think just taking the time and 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 going through that, it's not so much like physical, okay, start doing something this way. Because once you're, you know, a lot of these guys are older too. They're 24, 23 years old. They all play junior hockey. Um, you know, they kind of are setting their habits. So it's more the mental side of it. Um and just going through, you know, video and, and taking that time to kind of build those, 
I think even, even taking guys one-on-one for video, like you're not, you're not teaching them something crazy that they haven't seen before or know their mistake, but giving them little different cues and just kind of building that relationship of like, okay, they trust you. They, you know, that's the one thing that I'm fortunate with the playing experience I have is you kind of have that they'll, they'll listen to you right away kind of, or like, okay, yeah, he's done it before. He's done it at a high level. Let's see what he has to say on this, you know? So um, kind of the, the daily routine though, like this conference is, is very big on academics. So you can't miss class for practice. So our practices are in the evening, which is different for me. Like I'm used to, you know, well, from playing practice being at 10, but when I was in school, we would practice at like three 30. Now our practices are, you know, we have a women's team as well. So we switch off. They're either at uh, six o'clock or eight o'clock. So you have some late, you know, you go into the office at like nine and go over video and call recruits and, um, the, the days are longer for sure. It's not showing up at the rink for 10 o'clock practice and then playing guitar all afternoon. There's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot more, a lot more hours logged at the rink, but that's part of the reason I wanted to, to coach at the college level right off the bat. You know, there's a lot of junior leagues or even I had some interest for coaching in the ECHL right after I was done playing, you know, and that was tempting because you start at a high level right away, right? You're working on, you're coaching guys that are down on NHL contracts and you're working with some pretty high level players, but you're also not recruiting. You're not, you know, you're, you're coaching, but I ultimately want to be doing it at the NCAA level. And so when you, when you take a job at the division three level, you're kind of wearing all those hats. Like you're doing video. You're the guy who's on the road recruiting. You're the guy who's making calls. You're talking to guys after games outside the locker room. You're kind of doing it all. And that's why I wanted to, to start where I did, because, you know, then you're ready for whatever, whatever level you go to next, right? Like at the division one level, there's a hockey ops guy and he's cutting all the videos. So the assistant coaches don't have to worry about that. Um, so you, you do it all. And that's, that was one of the things about it. Like it's, it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of work, but you're really learning, you know, the, the coaching side of things inside and out and learning to recruit. Um, and that's been the biggest, I guess, adjustment is, is learning to recruit well, um, having those conversations with guys. Cause you know, quite frankly, like at the division three level, when you're recruiting junior hockey, not many guys want to hear from you because then that kind of means like, Oh, they don't see me as a division one guy, you know, like, is this the end of the road? Am I, you know, is that division one dream gone? And so you got to kind of, learn to talk to guys and say like, Hey, you know, you might be a division one guy, but if that doesn't work out, like here are the things about Trinity, the education that you'll get, the jobs that you can get after. Um, so it's been, it's been unique and it's been a different experience, especially being out East with some of these schools that I had, you know, really no, no clue about. Um, so it's been, it's been a lot of, a lot of learning. It's been a lot of, a lot of transitions in one year with going from, being done playing to coaching and then, you know, bringing a, bringing a baby into the world. And uh, it's, it's kind of been a wild year. I think I'll look back and I've been so distracted and busy the whole time. I haven't really sat and looked back on all of it, but I think that's what maybe made it easier to be done playing is because there's always the next thing to kind of distract you with like, Oh, I have a, I have a kid coming, you know, like, yeah, this makes sense. Or uh, cause there's days at the rink where you're coaching and you're like, man, I think I still got it. Like I should be, 
I should be the one playing. I should be the one getting up for, for a game, but, uh, but no, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. And I think, I think being able to bring that knowledge to players who want to learn, that's, that's been, you know, an unbelievable part of the job. I feel like you can influence more through coaching maybe than, than, than playing because you can, you can, you know, focus on teaching everybody on the team. And um, it's been a wild transition, but yeah. I know I, we want to be respectful of your time, um, but I have one, I have one last question for you. Yeah. Is there a coach that stands out from all of your years in playing that you kind of like, this is the guy that I want to be as a coach or this person made such a big, huge influence on me. I would say pieces from, from a lot of the coaches I've had, but, but different aspects. Like, I mean, one guy who, who kind of sticks out, Derek Lalonde um, was my coach, my second year in green Bay. And I mean, he's had an unbelievable career. He's with head coach of the Red Wings now. Like yeah. he's won two Stanley Cups, assistant with Tampa. What, what I liked about him was just his, his authenticity. Like he, he never tried to fit the mold of like a hockey coach and kind of, if you listen to a lot of coaches talk and a lot of hockey guys, they kind of have the same rhetoric. Like they, they all talk kind of similar. The demeanor is the same. Like Derek was always just completely himself and was never trying to fit some kind of mold. And I loved that. That's something I wanted to take into coaching. That's why, you know, I, I kept my hair long and, you know, you, you like, I remember for years, coaches tell me, yeah, you got to cut your hair as, you know, and, and other coaches like, oh yeah, once you're coaching, you're going to have to be clean cut. And I'm like, I've had these guys that I look up to that are just completely themselves. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my hair long. I'm going to, I'm just going to be me. I'm not going to try to try to, you know, fit some mold. And I really like that about Derek. Uh, my coach at Michigan tech, Mel Pearson, he was, he was great. What I liked about him was just his attention to detail of getting the best out of every guy, whether that was recovery or, you know, just meetings. And he was so detailed and he was always thinking about, he was always thinking about things so far down the line that, you know, as far as travel and what city we're going to stop in to spend the night and get what meal and then what time we're going to be leaving the next day. So everybody's had complete eight hours of sleep, like his attention to detail. Um, I think those two would probably be the top Eric rude, who was my, my coach, my first year in green Bay. Like I, what I like looked up to him the most is he was such a good family guy. Like he was, his kids were in the locker room a lot running around. Like they loved it. And he was always working out. Like we'd be on the road and you know, you're walking to lunch or whatever. And you'd see him jogging around town. Like he was always, he made sure to kind of keep in shape and he kind of led by example in that way. So I, those are kind of the names that come to mind. Um, you know, and then coaches along the way, they're great, just unbelievable guys that would do anything for you as a coach. And that's, those are kind of the things I'd like to be just always, you know, really authentic, um, you know, hardworking and, and building that trust with guys. So you can, you can have those hard conversations about what they need to do, whether it's to improve or to be in the lineup, or maybe this sucks. This is why you're out of the lineup. You know, we had that this year where there's, you know, guys, maybe a senior who's done everything for the, the program that he can, and he works hard and great attitude, but you know, maybe this freshman, is, is playing better right now. And you got to have that conversation, you know, yeah. guys, parents are flying in from wherever just watch him play and he's out of the lineup. You know, that's, those are tough conversations to have, but 
I think that if you're just completely authentic and you get that trust, then whether the conversation is hard or not, they, they have to respect it, you know? And, and I think that's some of the, some of the traits, I guess, from, from some of those coaches I named that I like to, to try to bring into it on my side now. CJ, this has been fantastic. Really, it's, it's great to catch up with you. I mean, what a story you, you have, no doubt. The only question I really have to, to end it is, how many teeth have you lost in your career? So I've been really lucky. I have <laughs> my bottom three are probably just in half. Like they're the bottom three at Gambler Camp. I think it was my second year. My roommate, actually, he took a shot and like his follow through took out uh, the bottom three, but just in half, like most of the tooth is still there. I got a cap on one of them. And then the other two are just molded. Um, and it's kind of funny that the guy that, uh, that did it, my dentist, uh, Michael Romanesco, he's a keyboard player for Iftikhar. Nice. Um, he was in, <laughs> he was in Digstown for a while, but, uh, so he was my dentist and he, he put this mold on my teeth and he's like, this could last you for four years or you could bite into an apple next week and your tooth could be back in half. But um, other than those three that happened, like I went all those years in the ECHL where I don't know if it's because I'm so short, like I was just under that level, but um, you know, you see guys that take a slap shot to the face and I, I penalty kill was a big part of my game. You know, you're going down and blocking a lot of one timers and blocking a lot of slap shots and um, somehow these teeth were able to dodge, dodge it for the most part. Gosh, CJ and I bonded over the Grateful Dead. That's how we first kind of yep. got, got to talking. Yep. I think you had gone to a Denton company show or something like that with your dad. Yep. Yep. We went uh, that summer. Yeah, that was, that was great. And I think I was wearing a, a Grateful Dead, a Steal Your Face Packer shirt. And you were yes. like, oh, nice shirt. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yep. The power of music. Yeah. And, and all the while you're doing all this, we, we never even mentioned that, that I mean, you're obviously you, your dad being who he is, but but your love of guitar and just, you're, you're constantly playing guitar all through, all through this time. That, that's so, uh, that, that's always just been your, your alter ego. Yeah, it's kind of like, kind of like I, I like my escape I guess you know you put so much into into hockey and like especially after college when you're playing and that's your only that's your job you know you wake up you go to the rink you practice at 10 and then unless you're leaving on a road trip you have the rest of the day to do whatever you want um you see some guys who don't take advantage of that time maybe they sit around and you know play a lot of video games and they're not they're not doing much but I kind of took that as like wow I have I have all afternoon to sit and work on these guitar scales, you know, and like, and I think that's when I really started to to get better at music and and have that extra time. Because in college, you know, you're I was playing a lot, but it was I wasn't learning. I was playing a lot of the stuff that I knew, and then once I got to that the the, the kind of lifestyle of the you know and the the pro schedule, you have so much time on your hands in the afternoon, and I was. I'm glad now looking back that I was using that time to to get better at guitar instead of sitting around not, you know, kind of letting that time go to waste. But um, Do you still play now? Are you still able to play as much? Yeah, I, I still play as much as I can. Uh, this year coaching, it wasn't during the season. It wasn't as much as if I was if I was playing. Um, 
and then now with with having Charlie, you know, I'll I'll try and play for him in the morning, just sit and and play while he's awake. But uh, does he have a guitar yet or no? Not yet, not yet. Yeah. Once we uh, once we get back to the Midwest and we're in a house, he'll probably have uh, he'll have a lot of them. I know at Michigan Tech you used to have uh, jam sessions. Are you going to bring that back on YouTube or you know I, I can see it. Yeah, I got a college coach with a little jam session YouTube page. Yeah, yeah, I got to find some guys in the area. I haven't, uh, I haven't been proactive looking for kind of the music scene here. I don't know if it lacks. Uh, I've just been so lucky with Appleton, where you know it's it's just right there, and my dad's part of it, and my cousin's part of it, so it's it's all right there. But I gotta I gotta find some guys out here that I can sit and jam with. Hartford, Connecticut, home of Goose, one of the. Greatest jam bands, yeah. Yep, yep, and there's a new one called Eggy. Oh, love those guys. Yeah, they're kind of Hartford based, so I got to try and, and catch them, or at least they're out, they're based out east. But, uh, but what yeah, do you I listen gotta... to these days? I know you, you're obviously you love the Dead, but did, yep. I know you love Bluegrass. Yep, I mean Billy Strings, love him. Yeah, I mean he's he's incredible. Pretty much anything he's doing is is worth listening to. Um, honestly, a lot of the Mile of Music stuff. That kind of a lot of those bands stuck with me, like uh, Cordovas. I don't know if you were able to catch them at all, um, but I, I love the Cordovas. I still love Charlie Parr from one of the earlier Miles. Uh, I was sure. kind of blown away by him. Uh, Susto, they're another one. Will Dorado was one that I saw and I thought they were good, and then they kept growing on me and kept growing on me. I listened to them quite a bit. Um, uh, who else is in there? I don't want to leave anybody out. Arts Fishing Club, Chris. Yes. Is yeah. Got to got to get his name out there. But those guys those are, are local guys too. Yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, I mean, he's a great songwriter and obviously unreal voice. And, um, but yeah, I try to as many of those mile bands. Even Sturgill was at like the second mile, but Sturgill Absolutely. Simpson, like some of his kind of older stuff, I it stuck with me. And some of that kind of the bluegrass, the kind of the kind of country rock kind of stuff. It's kind of what I'm into right now. And. Uh, yeah. Always, I mean, bluegrass is so such stuff to work on on guitar. You can always work on your picking. So, <laughs> I actually do have one last last question. Yeah, gigging. When when are you going to play? When are you going to put your guitar skills out on the stage? I know. I want like, if I was in Appleton full time, it would be a lot easier. Um, or even if I got back to Houghton, like there's. I know the guys that run the Houghton's such a small community, the guys who run the music shop and they're good guys, good musicians, they play out. I just have to get get in an area where I'm gonna be for for a decent amount of time and and I can start making it happen. But uh like if I was back full time, I'd like to be jumping up there with Digstown a little bit. And, uh, um but yeah, no, I it, part of it's on me. Like I should be I should be looking for it a little bit more. I should be going out and playing some open mic nights. Like I I could be putting myself out there a little more, but uh, uh, one, once I'm back in Appleton, a little, a little more regular, uh, and then hopefully I'll be, I'll be playing in a band. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. We both appreciate everything. Yeah, and, no uh, problem. That was great. great. Thank you so much, CJ. And yeah, yeah. Congrats on the baby, and best to your wife. And uh, we'll for sure see you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, CJ, for sure.
All right, Tosh, for our second ongoing segment, an old look at new. It's basically just you and I looking back at some event that happened here in northeastern Wisconsin, maybe our take on something that happened sometime in history, roughly around the same week that that the show drops. But uh, you and I are going to just look back in history. You and I are both history buffs. We love uh, we love history when you and I kind of geek out on it, to be honest with you. So uh, absolutely. Yeah. So. It's an old look at new. So let's get into it, Tash. What, uh... All right. Well, I kind of have one. It kind of encompasses Wisconsin, and it brings me back to growing up um, and an event I attended in Appleton, actually. Um, so my old look at new um, is a few weeks earlier it's in June, but um, Eric Hyden, one of the best-known Olympic speed skaters, was born in Wisconsin um, in June nineteen. Uh, 19- 53, I believe it was. And um, he went on to win five gold medals in the 1980 Olympics, which was also the miracle on ice. Um, And our very own uh, throwback in this episode is going to be Mark Johnson. Um, And I I don't know if you remember a lot about Eric Hyden, but after he won those five and he was the first person to win five individual gold medals, um, he retired after the after the Winter Olympics in 1980, and he went on to a professional biking career. And in the 1980s, we had that bike series come through Wisconsin, and they biked around City Park in Appleton, Wisconsin. Oh, that is awesome, Tosh. I do not remember the biking. I certainly remember Hayden's thighs. Holy Hannah, did that exactly. guy have some big thighs. But he was monstrous. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely was. Been oh, the Olympics, nineteen eighty. What a year to be be alive. You and I. That was right in our prime. Watching that was. those years. That was insane. Yeah, I, I, I remember. You know, I I wasn't a hockey player at the time, and um, you know, obviously young, but I remember specifically watching Eric Hyden, and just the amazing accomplishment that, that was. And he did have some monster thighs. Absolutely incredible. So, and I believe the biking happened. I, I might not have the dates exactly correct because he was actually one of the founding members of um, the 7-Eleven team, and he did race in the Tour de France in like 19, mid-1980s. Um, so that bike race that he was in in touring Wisconsin happened in the uh, early to mid-80s. And I, I remember going down with my parents and uh, watching that bike race. And for people here in Northeast Wisconsin who know Appleton, um, came right around down College Avenue, right around City Park. Um, you know, just a really cool event for a uh, little Appleton. We haven't had any any big bike races like that for a while, I believe. So kind of a cool event. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't remember any bike races either, and I, I absolutely love biking as well. So as, as you found out tonight, <laughs> with a load full of groceries on my back. But no, I love it, Tash. That's a great uh, a great look back. Eric Heiden, a, a legend in Wisconsin sports, no doubt about it. Hall uh, of Famer. Hall of yeah, Famer. Wisconsin Sports Hall of Fame, yeah. Book it. I have one interesting fact on an old look at new. Um, some of you may know I am a letter carrier, so I uh, I kind of geek out a little bit on the post office. And when I was doing a little bit of research, I uh, came across that on July 1st, 1963, U.S. PS starts using zip codes in 1963, July 1st, 1963. I thought that was, uh, feel like zip codes were a little bit older than that, but uh, <laughs> that's what I found. 
But um, my throwback is really more of a memory. We're just, uh, we all just celebrated the 4th of July. We shot some fireworks and had a good old time. And it, and it always brings me back to Goodland Field where the Appleton Foxes played. And they, when they were in town on July 4th, they usually shot fireworks over center field wall and ticked off all the neighbors in the, in the neighborhood. But uh, gosh, darn it all. That was a good time as a, as a kid and fireworks at Goodland field, minor league baseball. It was etched into my memory as a kid, Tash. I know you, you were there as well, but absolutely, there was nothing like fireworks at Goodland field around the 4th of July. That was something about Goodland field period. I mean, that was just a classic. I mean, it wasn't in the best shape. No, <laughs> but <laughs> You know, it, for uh, that was that was small town minor league baseball right there. I mean, a four foot drop off behind second base is not normal. <laughs> no, not usually. Okay. But oh, <laughs> uh, you know, chasing fall balls and and getting a what, get a candy bar or something. I can't remember. It was something like something funny like that that they give you give you something if you chase down the fall balls when you're young and. Honestly, I think it was a quarter in a quarter, I'm, maybe if, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a gentleman by the name of Judd, Judd something, and he was in charge of foul balls. And if <laughs> you got a foul ball, you brought it to Judd and I believe he got paid a quarter and we're talking late seventies, early eighties here, not to, not yep. to age myself, but uh, <laughs> I do remember that quite well. But so anyway, that's our take and uh, uh, an old look at new. A new segment that we're going to get started here every podcast is just our take on something historical right around this time in northeastern Wisconsin. Get a piece of it, just keep it away. 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carlemont shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Will you let him off? Gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. All right, Tash. I'm excited for this segment, this weekly segment. This is... This is the one that started it all. This is where I kicked the box and, and got the idea. It's it's our throwback segment. And this is where we bring you back to the Red Smith Banquet. So l- like I had said earlier in the, in the show introduction, 57 years of the Red Smith Banquet, we have so much content. I, I remember when we were, I was sitting at my desk and we were we were just trying to figure out what, what to do, what direction to take the banquet, what maybe this podcast. And I kept kicking this box underneath my my desk and in that box were all the DVDs and, and there's old eight tracks. People won't even remember what that is. Reel to reel stuff. I mean, just ancient stuff. Every, I mean, go back 57 years, it's all there. And we have never, we've never really published any of that. And and I, and I don't really know the reason, but we, we need to publish that. It, it, it was a pretty no brainer when I, when I kicked that box. So that's what this segment is. So each week we're, we're going to bring you a throwback. It, it'll probably tie into like this one. Um, gosh, th- th- I mean, you were jacked for this one. I mean, what a year this guy's had, what a career this guy's had, but Mark Johnson is going to be this year, this uh, week's throwback uh, hockey related, but um, good way to kick this off. I'd say. Yeah. You know, Mark Johnson, amazing. Uh, had an amazing career, obviously probably best known for miracle on ice in 1980, but you know, born and raised in Minneapolis, uh, current coach of the U- of UW Madison Badgers girls hockey team, 
uh, national champion. Uh, just, just an amazing, amazing career. Played 669 games in the NHL. Um, it's really cool to listen to him, hear his story. Uh, so we're going to kick it, kick it off to that throwback. Enjoy. Brad Smith Sports Awards Banquet Throwback. Red Smith Award, of course, goes to someone who has made some unique contributions to sport in Wisconsin. And also epitomizes the great values that Red Smith exhibited. Let's give a Red Smith welcome. You'd have to look long and hard to find anyone in the state of Wisconsin who has, a, has achieved as much success as Mark Johnson has achieved. And as a freshman for the Badgers, Mark was named the WCHA Rookie of the Year. Mark Johnson still holds the record for goals scored in a season and goals scored in a career. Mark went on to the United States gold medal winning team, the Miracle on Ice. Mark played 11 seasons in the National Hockey League he played professionally three more seasons overseas before returning to Wisconsin, his home. He would eventually be named assistant coach for the men's hockey team under Jeff Sauer. And after six seasons as an assistant coach for the men's team, Mark was named head coach of the women's hockey program in 2002. And during that time, he's built the premier women's hockey program in the country with back-to-back -back championships in 2006 and 2007. Everything Mark touches turns to gold. Mark has been inducted into the UW Hall of Fame, the State of Wisconsin Sports Hall of Fame, the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. He's been named a Silver Anniversary Award winner by the NCAA and the Vince Lombardi Award of Excellence. I'm sure any of you who know Mark Johnson will agree on this. You won't find a nicer person. You won't find anyone more humble. You won't find anyone more dedicated to his family, to his players and staff. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you one of the greatest athletes in the history of the state of Wisconsin. Please welcome our good friend, Mark Johnson. Thank you, Vince. Uh, certainly kind words. Uh, to me, it's really a night uh, to be thankful and certainly want to thank the Red Smith Committee for uh, this great honor. As I looked down the list of past winners uh, a couple weeks ago when I went on the website, uh, my first reaction was like, wow. You look at the names and what those people have done, not only within their communities, but uh, certainly within their uh, sports. Uh, there's a lot of impressive people on there, and so I'm very humbled to be part of that group and, and certainly very honored. But uh, as I look out, and Vince had said it was a large banquet, and when we walked through the doors here and I saw everybody sitting out there, it's like, no, this is huge. <laughs> but it really paints a picture of what your community is all about. And uh, uh, as I've told uh, on many occasions uh, to different banquets that I've spoke at, uh, you know, you can have great buildings, and if you go down to Madison and, and you see the Coal Center, or you see Camp Randall or the Overture Center. I mean, we got a lot of wonderful things down there. What makes the community special is the people. And as I 
interacted with some people tonight uh, before we came up here, and, and as I look out in the audience and I see the real mission of what the Red Smith Banquet's all about, uh, it sort of gives me goose pimples because I have five kids myself, and I know how important youth sports is to a community, and uh, the future of your community is within your young people, and it's so neat to see a community like yourself get together, raise money, distribute it out to different organizations in the Fox Valley, it just develops strength within, uh, within your whole area, and uh, you can see why people want to move up here and why wonderful things are happening around your area, and it's so special to be part of your evening. Because, uh, like I say, the, the strength of your community is not only within the people, but what you do with your young people, and it's very neat to see this community come together and, and raise money. Uh, but I think the special things that, that, that I really reflect on, and I was very fortunate about, I had a father that uh, really became a role model when you're young, and you're running around the house and you're running to different activities, you really don't know what's happening. You're sort of naive to what the whole uh, culture of, of your environment. But as you get older, as you mature, and you look back on, on how you developed your morals and your values, and uh, the first thing I looked at is my parents. And I was fortunate enough to have a father who was very passionate about his job. He was a coach, but more importantly, he was a teacher. He was genuine. Uh, he was 24-7. He had a lot of energy and enthusiasm for the game, and I was fortunate being one of his sons to watch it on a daily basis. And I look back uh, and uh, reflect on the opportunities he presented, my mom presented to us as, uh, as kids. Uh, you're just thankful that I was fortunate enough to live in a household that had that. And now as a coach, uh, it's neat to go back on the ice with young kids because to me it's pure. It's genuine. They're doing it because they love what they, uh, the, they do with, uh, with their teammates. It's great social opportunity, meeting different kids around the neighborhood. And it really is, as Ron mentioned, it's about having fun. And so last night uh, we had a, uh, a clinic at the Cole Center. 70 kids on the ice. We had 30 more kids doing off-ice up in the uh, gymnasium at the Cole Center. And it was just fun going on the ice because these five and six-year-olds with their hair in front of their eyes, with their helmets and their equipment on, getting a chance to skate around the Cole Center ice, it, uh, it was very exciting. As we organized the on-ice activities, we got ourselves organized and there's this young lady, young little girl, Annie was her name. She was five years old and I said, Annie, you need to go down in the corner where they're working on skating. No, 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 coach. I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> And what do you do? You just smile and say, okay, let's get you going here. And so, but that's the fun part about coaching, especially at the young level. So I compliment everybody here tonight on uh, strengthening your community, giving kids uh, that are at the young age an opportunity to experience sports uh, in all different areas and the opportunity to, to learn what uh, sports teaches us. And those are life lessons and uh, you're really uh, implementing things in them that they'll carry with them uh, the rest of their lives. If you happen to be coaching at the youth level, you can have a huge, huge impact on those players that you're working with. And uh, you certainly want to be a role model to them because uh, the little things you do, uh, they're watching you. And they're watching you very closely. So make sure you do the right things if you're getting an opportunity to work with the youth. But again, I just want to thank everybody for letting me be part of your night and certainly very honored to receive this award. And it's a very special night for myself and my family. So thank you very much. That was our throwback. I uh, hope you enjoyed the throwback this week. This is something that's going to happen every single week, and we'll tie it into the interviews that we're doing locally. 
Hope you enjoy that, and I hope that you continue to tune in for these throwbacks as well as our local interviews. Every Thursday, uh, the podcast will drop. Uh, we're going to put the throwbacks on YouTube as well as um, as some kind of feature where it'll just be the throwback and video at some point. I don't think that'll be up yet for this episode, but expect that in the future. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Always a hoot, Tosh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We'll see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening to the NoosaCast. We appreciate your support. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so and tell a friend. A huge thanks to Digstown for all the music in today's episode. Catch a gig or find them on Spotify. Northeastern Wisconsin Sports Advancement is a 501c3 organization. Our mission is to raise money, provide support, and create awareness for youth sports organizations in Northeastern Wisconsin. We do this primarily through the Red Smith Sports Award Banquet and the NoosaCast. Each year, we give back to the community through three initiatives, the Every Kid Plays, the Gives Back Initiative, and scholarships to student athletes. 